IDC is forecasting Asia-Pacific spending on AI systems to rise from $17.6 billion in 2022 to around $32 billion in 2025. Businesses investing in AI are said to do this to gain a competitive advantage through improved customer insight, increased employee efficiency, and accelerated decision-making. Now, to appreciate how technology is evolving and how organizations are adjusting strategies to better align with the maturing of AI, we are joined by Dr. Chris Marshall, Associate Vice President responsible for data analytics and AI at IDC Asia Pacific. Chris, welcome to Podchats for Future CIO. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. If you could give us a quick snapshot of the state of AI adoption in Asia, what does it look like today? It's quite difficult to give a, a sort of a warm picture because it's so varied. I mean, you get variations across industries, across countries. And just to make it even a bit more complicated, you get a bit of a, a bifurcation that we're seeing. You, you at the top end, companies are doubling down, if anything, in their AI investments. And and by the top end, I mean top 40% of companies, something like that. And they are, are clearly spending more and more. In fact, what we tend to find is the companies that have spent more on AI tend to spend more, even more moving forward because they've gained some value out of it and they, they've learned how to use it properly and uh, they see the justification for additional investments. What is a little bit harder is the, the 60% that haven't done anything. <laughs> and um, in many ways, the gap between that 60% and the 40% is actually widening. And we see that gap increasing, partly because of the success of AI, AI I should say. Because, you know, again, we see this tendency for the, the winners to double down on their investments. You also see that played out in different industries, although not quite so much. I mean, for example, financial services has traditionally been probably the first mover in terms of AI development across the region, well, across the world, really. But now we're starting to see the gap between AI and financial services and, say, AI in manufacturing, for instance, decreasing a little bit, which is kind of interesting, I think, partly because a lot of the obvious use cases that companies have done in financial services, they've kind of done that and that they've gained the value out of it. And they're almost, I won't say commodity, that's too strong, but they're certainly moving in that direction. So things like credit scoring, fraud detection, AML, KYC, you know, these are things that banks just do. They are using AI and other techniques to improve those fairly standard use cases. But we're seeing a lot of innovation now in, in some other industries so that it's interesting that although the gap in, within an industry is widening between the winners and losers, the gaps across different industries are actually decreasing a little bit. So and I think manufacturing is a great example of this because you see, see things like continuous analytics, continuous streaming, real-time data. These are all making a big difference in terms of how manufacturing processes work or how distributed plant and facilities work, you know, because they're getting a lot of this data and suddenly they're starting to do some analytics on top of it. It might not be very sophisticated analytics, but still they're starting to see the potential. And I, I think that's really exciting. I mean, you see it in, I think, Hong Kong transportation, uh, the trains in Hong Kong, they're actually doing really very sophisticated things in terms of the use of IoT technologies to change how operators, frontline operators work within the system, which I, I think is fascinating. And I think it's a bit of a of things to come. And obviously, we've also got a country distinction as well, which we kind of hinted at as well. The Singapore's and the Australia's and the Japan's are always relatively leading kind of contenders in their use of ALA. But they're being followed quite quickly now by Malaysia, by you know Thailand, to some extent Vietnam and Indonesia, and obviously certainly countries like South Korea, which have always been f further along, Hong Kong, obviously. So it's a very mixed picture. Uh, mm. So I think the skills market is not quite as pressured. It was very intense about a year or so ago, I would say. You know, everybody wanted a data scientist in their back pocket. And of course, that, that wasn't very practical. And frankly, it 
wasn't even that necessary. So it is an element of a softening of that labor market. That's also been accelerated by things like, you know, platforms that are easier to use, low code, auto ML. These technologies are sort of making it less critical to have a high powered PhDs with machine learning backgrounds. It'll be difficult to get those type of people anyway. Well, it's anyway. hard in some places uh, and in some industries, obviously, because they go where the money is. Uh, it's a yeah. scarce resource. And they tend to migrate inevitably to the digital natives, the grabs and the travel ochres and the, the Googles. And away from traditional industry, they may go to banks because that's where the money is. But I still think that um, it's the market is softening a little bit for machine learning yeah. in, in terms of the actual skills. Fair enough. Uh, you mentioned uh, the disparity between uh, the, the top 40% and then everybody else in terms of the adopting AI. In your view, what would be the most significant hurdles for organizations? I mean, let's look at those in the bottom end. I mean, impacting AI developments in, in Asia itself. I think use cases is probably the single most important, really. You've got to have reasonably well-defined use cases. The smaller companies, you don't have the luxury of experimentation. You know, you've got to have an agenda. You've got to have a, a clear business value attached to a use case before you're going to make investments in these sort of technologies. I mean, they're not cheap. So that means that you tend to be a fast follower at best, you know, but you are a follower. You're following what, what has worked elsewhere. So you're looking for use cases that are really relevant, that you can see big value add for your particular industry, your particular company. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes it's not so easy. You usually need a business person within the organization to say, hey, you know, we need this. We desperately need this. We've got to go with this. Otherwise, we're, you know, we're losing competitiveness. And that might be something like, I don't know, sales recommendation engines. It might be... Um, you know, cross-selling. It might be uh, a chatbot. It, I mean, there's a host of different applications that come to mind as sort of relatively easy on-ramps into this sort of AI journey. But I, I think the biggest problem is identifying the key, the use cases that are going to be useful to you in your particular business. And that depends on, on the company itself. And then saying, okay, getting a business person who isn't trained in AI necessarily to actually drive it. It can't be driven by IT. It's consistently... IT isn't very good at driving these sort of projects because maybe you have a bespoke development team that does all sorts of clever things. But if they can't be accepted by the business unit, it falls on deaf ears. It's not going to be integrated into your existing business processes, tools, systems. It, it becomes a black mark against the CIO. who said, You know, the CEO says, well, you did that last time. That didn't work. So um, that's kind of bad news on his, his career copybook. I think that is probably the single most biggest challenge for a lot of smaller companies. Because that means you've got to have a business person saying, you know, we need this. And traditionally, it's tended to be the functions that are slightly advanced, more advanced in doing this. In other words, it'll be head of fraud, for example, or maybe it's um, head of uh, the BI team. If you've got a, a separate BI team from the CIO, they would typically be the one saying we need this. Or perhaps it would be an operations person. But what is a little bit less common is to have a line of business person say we desperately need this. So it, it tends to be more functionally based. Mm -hmm. This is slowly changing. Changing, but it's taking a long time to change, frankly. So mostly, I don't have a figure in the top of my head, but at a guess, it's probably 70% of all use cases for AI are functional oriented. Or, you know, they're not really line of business driven. 
which I think is interesting. I think this is changing. It's slowly becoming more line of business driven for AI use cases, but we're not quite there yet. And that maybe reflects the natural conservatism of, of most businesses across the world. You know, and this is not particularly unique to Asia. It's across the board. Companies tend to look for safe use cases to do these things. They don't want to stick their neck out to do anything that may rock the boat too much. Um, potentially establish a new, you know, new business models, for example, which is why the digital natives have done so well. <laughs> Because in one sense, they viewed themselves as digital from the ground up. They've, they've never thought of themselves as anything. They don't think in terms of traditional kind of um, function, LOB kind of structures. And they view data as their lifeblood. In a way that still, I don't think most organizations, most average businesses don't think of it in those terms, which maybe is a shame. In what areas has the pandemic influenced, or not maybe, both the adoption and the direction in which AI is being integrated into the enterprise? And this time we look at those that are at the forefront, the 40% that you mentioned. Good question. Well, I suppose the obvious one is things like um, remote working, mm -hmm. hybrid working. I mean, maybe we're coming out of that, touch wood. I don't, I don't know if we are coming out of that. Maybe we are. And that's certainly been a, a an eye-opener, I think, for many, many organizations that have, have realized, you know, we don't need to have, you know, quite so much centralized control, centralized systems. A cloud might become more viable possibility. People can be trusted to do their thing remotely. And I think that has, along with the fact that, you know, we're not necessarily meeting our customers face to face anymore. This is probably more the case a year ago than it is now. But um, if we're not meeting our customers face to face, then obviously a whole set of customer experience and um, transaction based systems become relevant. And AI, of course, sits on top of those transactional systems. In fact, AI really, I mean, the link between AI and digital transformation, more than anything else, is the fact that once you start digitally transforming your transactions, your business processes, a lot of data is thrown out of that. Each of those individual transactions, each of those customers, each of those processes throws out a lot of data. And when you do that, of course, you've got something you can analyze. So you've got this raw material, which you know, the data that comes out of these digitally transformed processes. And, you know, we start to do intelligent things with them. We start saying, well, this customer bought this last week. Maybe they'd like to buy this next week. Um, you know, this process had four fails for whatever reason last week. And, and maybe there's a way of decreasing that this week by doing this. So that data exhaust, if you like, of all of these processes, these digitally pro digital processes that have been forced on people because of COVID is a huge resource for actually for AI to actually do something useful. And I think that's perhaps the most important aspect of that's been, I don't want to make COVID sound like a good thing. It wasn't a good thing for anybody. Um, but it's certainly been a, a side effect of the COVID uh, situation in terms of its impact on AI. I mean, obviously, there's been a host of narrower use cases that have been thrown out by AI. You're familiar with these as much as I am. I mean, whether it's things like digital ID, you know, there's a host of programs across the world, across the region that look at monitoring your vaccination status, your digital identity and blockchain and AI. All these technologies start to play a role in these sort of stories. But that's more about national government kind of management control kind of of the, of the population. And it, it's less about the, the corporate story for AI, which I think really more than anything else is driven by the fact that suddenly, you know, we need digital platforms simply to survive. And once we have these digital platforms, we get data. And once we have data, AI becomes a viable story for many organizations. Earlier, we talked about the significant hurdles impacting AI development. What about factors that will most positively influence the adoption of AI? And this one can be both on both sides of the extremes, right? Those that are early adopters, as well as those that are just following the, the flow. 
traditionally, I mean, there's almost three stages of AI development in one sense, right? The first is some business user or IT person has a bright idea. And they say, you know, look, we've got this bunch of data and we could do this really cool thing. I read about this somewhere. We could do this. And that they might come up with a little toy model and maybe a pilot project. And maybe if they're really lucky, they get somebody in authority within the organization to take that seriously. And that's great. Nothing wrong with that. Most of the time that doesn't work. You know, you might be successful. Then what starts to happen is, you know, you get a bundle of these different projects, perhaps because one or two have been successful. And suddenly IT starts saying, well, that's interesting. You know, these guys are starting to hog our, our compute resources. And um, I'm starting to read in the newspaper about AI and its implications. So maybe we should have some sort of bunch of experts that, who actually know what they're doing in this, rather than be sort of um, skunk works kind of activity done on the side to do particular one-off projects. And then they actually might start to hire a couple of um, maybe data scientists or if they're lucky, they'll be able to train up some BI people to do some data science work. Maybe they'll get a platform of some sort. And then they start thinking, well, let's make this into a center of excellence because that's kind of what a center of excellence is. And a center of excellence then sort of becomes a magnet, if you like, for projects. Mm. And people start saying, hey, I've got an idea. And somebody else, oh, I've got an idea. And then suddenly these projects sort of coalesce into the COE, hopefully does the projects and, and does a good job. Added to this is the problem that COEs, you know, we mentioned earlier that recently shortage of data scientists. So COEs are, are quite good ways, really, in many cases, of, of pointing all the, the sharks in the right direction. So they're, they're a way of getting scarce resources to focus on projects that really are presumably value-add for the organization. So that's a, a, a sort of a second stage, I suppose you'd call that, of the AI development. What we're start, now starting to see, and it's still early days, and it, again, it varies by industry and country and all the rest. And, you know, we're starting to see companies is thinking about distributed citizen data scientists. And that's almost taking the COE and saying, you know, COEs are nice, but they aren't really close enough to the business to make a, a big difference. We want to get some of these data scientists either dotted line or solid line relationship to the COE and, and get them close to the business people who actually ultimately need to use the models and, and actually apply the models to whatever it is they're doing. So I think those three or four stages are the natural development stages of AI capabilities. Perhaps the, the question, the biggest question is sort of before those three stages in terms of how does an organization start to realize that AI is important for them. And again, it goes back to that, you know, 40%, 60% story. The 40% are going through various stages of that journey. The 60% to a large extent, and again, I'm, I'm including all organizations here from the, you know, the mom and pop business down the road to wherever. Um, for the small organizations, AI, you haven't got the luxury of being able to develop anything, so you don't even bother to do that. But AI is embedded in virtually every application they use. They might not know it, so they may not view AI as being important. But it certainly, whether we use WebEx or we use Zoom or we use um, Microsoft Office or Teams or whatever it is, any virtually any application you can think of, AI is increasingly embedded in everything from sort of smart search to smart completion to recommendation engines to help desks. So it's kind of there in the background, even though it might not be front and center to the business itself, even for the 60% the on the left-hand side of the picture. 
Now, you mentioned earlier that use cases uh, will most likely be the ones that would hopefully see uh, drive further adoption uh, or the evolution of AI in, in our region. In the near term, what sort of AI use cases beyond your chat bots and, uh, and, you know, and fraud detection sy- uh, systems, uh, uh, what sort of use cases can we expect that capitalize on AI itself to start to see them with commercial adoption or at scale? I'm based in Singapore, and uh, one of the most interesting use cases is really an a, purely an AI use case. I think the most interesting use cases are usually a combination of technologies, including AI. And I think that's going to be more and more the case. So you're not going to separate AI from other technologies quite so clearly, as perhaps we do now. For example, uh, I'm in Singapore, and um, down the road is a big park, and Singapore parks are, are one of the the biggest users of digitalization technologies. So they have, it's quite amazing, they have a, a map of virtually every tree and bush in the country. And they'll say, you know, well, we looked at this tree last week or three weeks ago and, you know, it had a bit of a brown stain on the side of its tree and we're going to put some special manure fertilizer on the tree and hopefully that'll get better. And of course they do this at the scale of millions of trees. It's not just like a hundred trees in my my back garden. It's it's a much bigger task. And and when you start thinking about the use of, say, mapping technologies, geomapping technologies, the use of IoT sensors, to monitor the moisture in this part of the, the park, for example. The use of tools held by the, the, the actual workers who actually work in the, in the park. Having those all working together so that you know exactly where your your work, your employee resources are. How they're working on particular parts of the park. And again, keep in mind, Singapore has many, many, many parks. So suddenly you get an AI story. And it, it, again, AI is part of it, but the data, the technology, the IoT, the streaming, the work process, are all, frankly, a bigger part. But those sort of technologies come together to be much bigger than the sum of their part. And I think that that actually is is one of the more interesting ones in many ways, because it really highlights the way AI is going to change. It's not going to be an end in itself. We're not doing AI because we want to do AI. We're doing AI because it changes, in this case, how we manage our parks and facilities. And it involves a whole bunch of different technologies working together. AI is part of it, certainly, because, you know, if they notice is that you know, there's been a, a bit of a some sort of you know disease that's affecting the tree in this part of the park. You know, you, you might need to think about the trees next to it, for example, or perhaps a, a particular species of tree that's got a problem. And you need to think about how, you know, what sort of treatments seem to work with that particular type of tree, for example. So again, it becomes a, a quite a sophisticated way of managing any asset, really. Virtually every business on the planet is thinking about how do I manage assets, whether it's a building or office or park how do you manage these assets so that you can you know keep costs down obviously but also make sure they continue to perform however you define that where you define that and how do you use data and analytics to improve the way they work and of course at the same time you've got people on top of this story so how do we change the way people work and interact with these assets in many ways the the next frontier of ai i mean we've gone from the relatively narrow use cases as we mentioned the frauds and the aml whatever credit scoring which are quite narrow and really, really focused on on the front end of a particular business process, usually very data driven business process towards use cases that are much more bigger, right? Much bigger, more holistic. They are interactive. They they require the interaction of people with, for example, physical plant 
I mean, you know, a particular valve is no longer working. The operator sees the sensor and it says, you know, there's a bit of a problem here. Don't quite know what the problem is. The guy goes and looks at it, plays with it, bangs it on the top a few times and something magical happens. And then, you know, the, the system is also tracking his behaviors and what he's doing on that particular piece of equipment. And suddenly you start developing a, a knowledge about how to deal with that particular problem. My point is that AI is not a narrow part of the problem. It's part of a bigger a bigger system, which is involves people, involves, you know, processes, it involves assets, technologies, all sorts of different things. And I think that... They're the sort of the exciting use cases, frankly, that, that people are now starting to talk about, usually in, in industries that have traditionally been fairly laggard in terms of developing AI, like manufacturing, like utilities, like retail to some extent. For enterprises to mature their adoption of AI, what must they undertake? Leadership has got to realize what is important about this technology. It's not magic. I mean, I think it's very important we we dispel some of the myths of AI. I mean, there's lots of them about, and I'm not going to go through them. You know, whether it's people all lose their jobs because of AI, or AI can do anything, or AI is a fad, or whatever, whatever the myth is. It's another technology. It's very useful technology, but it's only a technology. Companies that realize that AI is not an end in itself are much more likely to be successful because they will align their use of the technology with particular bit real business problems. But that requires a certain imagination and a leadership, frankly, that has got to be there to say, you know, this is a problem. Our customers are trading, I think is the right word. Uh, they're leaving us for whatever reason. Uh, we want to do something about this. Why are they leaving us? And maybe there's data that can make a difference in that story. And maybe there's a cross-sell program that can make a difference in that story. Maybe there's a platform story that could, you could tell in that, that situation. So I think the, the key idea that to develop that maturity is that leadership within the organization that includes the CIOs and the CXOs and the CEO. You know, they've got to be able to say this technology is important. Either our competitors will do it or we we will do it. Or if we don't do it, you know, we're going to have some problems down the line. If we identify the business challenges and problems that we're trying to solve with AI, we'll probably be successful. Probably the failure rate on AI projects is not very good. It's very relatively high. And, and that's problematic. So it means you've got to be cautious but at the same time looking over your shoulder to see what seems to work elsewhere so i think if i would sort of highlight it i would say choose the right problems to solve and the problems have to be important if they're important even a little success will make a difference if they're not important no amount of success is going to make any difference and i think ai is maybe sometimes solve the wrong problems. So I think you've got to get the key players on board and, and make sure that they're thinking that this is a good direction to go in and they're supporting you, not actually fighting you. I mean, for example, it's very difficult to set up a an AI strategy that's going to be terribly successful without some sort of data architecture story in the back of your mind in a large enterprise, right? You've got to understand that AI depends on data. Without mm -hmm. data, you know, you're going nowhere fast. And frankly, you might be going backwards because you may be trusting the AI in ways that you shouldn't be because the data is not very good. If I had one thing to think about, I think it's not quite as sexy as AI, but on the other hand, it's certainly true that without data, you can't have AI. Without that data platform, that, that infrastructure, the data quality, data management, it's very difficult to have a successful AI program. So if there's a necessary condition, that's one. Not sufficient, but it's certainly necessary. Chris, thank you very much for joining us on Podchats for Future CIO. Thank you so much. 
That was Dr. Chris Marshall speaking to us on the topic of how to get the best from artificial intelligence. You are listening to Podchats for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now.